Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's good to see all of you. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, and as John said, if you're a guest, thank you so much uh, for being here, and we truly want our service to be a blessing to you. Uh, maybe you came with a family member or a friend. Maybe you were online and uh, you were just searching for churches in the area, or maybe you drove by and saw the church sign, and uh, that's what brought you here today. Or maybe you just happened to be watching television around 11 o'clock at night, and, and you might have heard about this church on TV, <laughs> uh, something called Bibles and Brews, and you're like, is this that church? Yeah, this is the church, so you made it, if you're, if you're wondering. But uh, we're just so glad to have you here, and, um, and I truly believe the service is going to be a blessing to all of you. Uh, today, and um, we've, uh, we've just really enjoyed uh, being together this Holy Week and just experiencing all that God has for us, and we're really kind of a laid-back church. I mean, what you see is uh, what you get, and uh, if you were to come back next week, this is kind of exactly uh, what you would see, and uh, we truly just want you to feel at home today, so thanks again for spending uh, your day with us, and today's a really important day for churches all over the U.S., all over the world, for those who put their faith and Jesus, I mean, everything hinges on today. And I think it's safe to say that all of you knew where you were coming today, right? Uh, no one was blindfolded coming here, right? And then it was like, surprise, you're in church. <laughs> or the, your friend or family member didn't tell you you were going to something else, and then all of a sudden you ended up in a church service. I mean, we all know what this is about. We all kind of have an idea that we are here to celebrate this man named Jesus who was born of a virgin, who lived this sinless life, who ultimately went to the cross and died for our sins and died for the sins of all mankind that three days later he would rise from the dead so that you and I one day would be able to see him face to face. I mean, that's pretty much the, the crux of it. That's pretty much uh, what we believe and confess. And we do believe that. We believe that he has risen. We believe that he sits at the right hand of God the Father and we believe that he is still active in our world and our lives today. But isn't it interesting how you can meet people that are just, just so certain that this is true? Like, I mean, they believe it 1,000%. I mean, there's, there's no convincing them any other way. They know what they believe about God, and they definitely believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe you have someone uh, here today that you're sitting next to, and you're like, yeah, this person that brought me, or this person in my family, or my friend, yeah, they just seem so convinced of this. Maybe you're here and you're kind of like, you know, I don't know exactly if I really do believe this. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's just kind of out there and it just doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that you would believe that. Why is it that there are people that just, they're so convinced while others would say, no, this doesn't really make sense and really we're not sure if this is really what this is all about. When I was in college, uh, I worked uh, at a hotel and I went to school in Minneapolis and I started off as a, a valet uh, driver and then I moved into being a bellman and a doorman. And uh, one of the exciting things about working at a hotel, especially in a major city, is you get to meet a lot of celebrities. Now, mind you, this was about 20 years ago, so this is probably going to date me, um, but there was bands that came in, bands like R.E.M., anybody remember them? Or T.L.C., or how about this one, Mariah Carey? Cher, anybody remember her? Even, ready for this, Ricky Martin. <laughs> Any Ricky Martin fans out there? 
See, and this guy always left an impression on me because when he came, he would come with eight to ten buses. He had such an entourage of dancers and backup singers. And uh, one time he came in town, and we, he had so many people, so many bags. I mean, we spent hours sorting it all, getting, everyone, getting everyone's bag in the right hotel room. And I happened to be running point that day, and his uh, manager came up to me, and she said, you are such a hard worker. You have worked so hard, and you, know, you got everything exactly where it was supposed to go. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, for doing that, and she reached out her hand, and she had four tickets to the front row of Ricky Martin. Here's the thing. I don't really like Ricky Martin. (laughs) And apparently, I don't even remember what I said, but apparently just by my facial expression, she was like, oh, and she just kind (laughs) of took them back. Uh, So that didn't work out too well for me. Anyways, um, But I also got to meet a lot of sports figures and sports teams, basketball, baseball, uh, and uh, football football teams and players, as well as uh, CEOs of major corporations, a million dollar and billion dollar corporations. And for whatever reason, when you're a doorman of a hotel, I think of this, I'm a college student, people will come down out of their hotel rooms and they'll stand outside with you, whether they're smoking a cigarette or they just want to come out and get fresh air, and they will give you their life story for no apparent, like you become a counselor. It's really crazy. So I've had, I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of interesting people. But the person that I would say that was the most fascinating, the person that when I saw this person pull up and I, and I realized who it was, I began to get nervous. I was so excited that I was going to get an opportunity to meet this person. In fact, this person, uh, he, uh, he always travels with another male. He never travels with a woman by himself. And uh, he actually, uh, he passed away recently, just this last February. And his name is Billy Graham. Many of you are probably familiar with him. This is kind of the picture you get of him, right? And uh, so here he is. He pulls up, and he's got his driver with him. I think it was a slash security guard, although they were both the same age, which was like in the early 80s. And he, and he comes out with this huge trench coat on, and he's got his collar up, and he's got it buttoned all the way up, and he has these huge sunglasses on. And I'm thinking to myself, Billy, you're six foot two. You're not hiding from anyone. <laughs> But I was so excited to take his bags to put on the cart to have to go into the front desk and check him in. And I got to go up in the elevator up to his hotel room with him. Well, see, we got to his hotel room, and for some reason there was a mix-up, and housekeeping was still in there cleaning his room. And so the way our hotel was, because we were a convention hotel, we had conference rooms next to most of our hotel rooms. And so here Billy and I went into the room next door to his, and we sat in a conference room while his driver went down to park the car. So imagine this, I'm sitting across the table from Billy Graham. And we began to have this conversation, he began to ask me about my life, I told him I was in Minneapolis, you know, I'm from Michigan, but I'm in Minneapolis to go to school, and I'm training to be a pastor, and I said, but I really truly uh, feel that one day God's going to call me to the mission field, and I would love to do something with global missions and be a part of that. And he's sitting there, he's asking me questions, and we're dialoguing back and forth for 15 minutes. And he looks at me, and he says this to me, he says, I want you to work for the Billy Graham Association. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. He's he's actually asking me if I wanna work for his organization. And at the time, the headquarters were in Minneapolis before they moved to North Carolina. And then he did this, with with me just kind of being shocked. He took a, a, a notepad from the hotel, and a hotel pen, and he began to write this note down. And I want you to see it here. And I have it here if any of you wanna see it afterwards for proof, okay? Um, now, now imagine uh, Billy Graham had Parkinson's disease, so his hands were a little shaky, and so you guys can all make out what he wrote, right? No? Should I read it to you? Okay. It says this, Dear Line, I have talked to Tim and encouraged him to be a steward 
in Amsterdam. So he was doing this big crusade in Amsterdam and he needed all these people to be able to pull this thing off. And he said, please interview him immediately. And then you can see over there on the right, Billy Graham. Makes sense now, right? Who gets a handwritten note from Billy Graham? I mean, how incredible is this? I thought this must, surely must be a Lord. This must be what God is calling me into. And so I was so blessed uh, to have that note and to be able to have that time with Billy Graham. Well, it's interesting, as I said, we are continuing our series today that we started last uh, Sunday for Palm Sunday. And this year we did something a little unique. What we've been doing is we've been preaching out of two texts in the Bible, an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage, because everything in the Bible ultimately points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament ultimately points to Christ. And so we've been looking at the Old Testament passages that actually speak of Holy Week and our direct connection to Holy Week. You see, the Old Testament, or also can be called the First Testament, is everything that God says he's going to do, the promises that he said he's going to do. God reveals his plan, and his plan is through Jesus. But in the New Testament, starting with the Gospels, God fulfills his plan. And so you have these 66 books uh, written over the course of 15 or 1600 years by 40 different authors, all of this incredible stuff, all pointing to one reality that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he is who he says he is. And Jonah just happens to be one of the Old Testament books, one of the 39 books in our Old Testament. It was written around 800 BC by Jonah himself. See, this guy was a prophet of God, and so what that meant was God, God had selected him to speak to the people on his behalf. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. And so there were several prophets. There were several prophets during Jonah's time, and usually what prophets would do is they would be assigned to speak to the people um, that they live with. So it would be his people that he would be speaking to God on his behalf. But for whatever reason, God decided to select Jonah, and he said to Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to these people that are three days away. I want you to go to this other village called Nineveh, and I want you to tell them that they're not living their life the way that they should. They're all sinning, and they're doing horrible, horrible things, and they need to repent, and they need to churn to God. So imagine that, right? Imagine being Jonah, like, wait a second, why don't all the other prophets get to stay here, and I'm the one that's got to get selected to go and tell these people this thing that you want me to tell them. And at this time, these people in Nineveh were some of the evilest people on the planet. I mean, they had a reputation for just doing insanely horrible things to human beings. But here's the thing. He goes down to the boat launch, right, because you had to go by boat back then. He gets his ticket for his boat, and then instead of going on the boat that was headed toward where he was supposed to go, he gets on a boat going in the complete opposite direction, how many are familiar with that, right? God tells you to go one way and you go the other way. So he gets on this boat. They get out in the middle of the sea. This huge storm comes. And all of a sudden, to make a long story short, they figure out that it's Jonah. Jonah's the problem. Jonah's the reason that, that God's mad and that there's this big storm uh, brewing. So they take Jonah and they throw him out of the boat into the sea, into the storm. And I want you to see what it says in Jonah, in the text, it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Who's working here? Who did the work? The Lord. Isn't that interesting? It says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you read his account, you find out that when he's in the belly of the fish, he actually thanks God that God saved him and didn't allow him to drown in the sea. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if any of us would have needed three days and three nights, would we? I think one day, maybe one night, would probably be good enough to say, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do, but it's not about Jonah. 
It's about God's plan for our life. And so after three days and three nights, this is the really cool part, God has, the, has this fish actually vomit Jonah out onto land. Wouldn't that be nice? Imagine what that looked like. And again, he comes to Jonah, he says, I want you to go to these people, I want you to tell them that what they're doing is wrong, I want you to repent, and I want the, you to tell them that they need to turn to God. And he goes to this village, and he does exactly that. And when you know, everybody in the village admits that they're wrong, admits that they're sinners, and they um, humble themselves, they confess of their sins, and from the king on down, everyone turns to God. And some of you probably are sitting here this morning or this afternoon going, wait a second, why are you talking about Jonah? Isn't it Easter? Right? What is going on here today? And what I want you to look at next is what we read in Matthew. But before I do that, see, many scholars would say that the book and the story of Jonah is a parable. It's just a fictional lesson because it doesn't seem plausible that a man could live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, right? If, if you're kind of wondering, you're probably saying, well, this is kind of why I don't believe in the Bible. This is kind of why I, you know, I struggle with faith and really truly believe. In, I mean, you seem like you're an adult person. I mean, do you really truly believe that to be true? But I want us to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 40. It's gonna be on the screens. And here Jesus is actually having an argument with the religious leaders of his time and they're having a hard time grasping the fact that Jesus is actually God. And so they're going back and forth and they're asking for a sign and he says, I'm not gonna give you a sign except for the prophet Jonah. And it says this, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jesus was predicting exactly what was going to happen to him in the coming days. Think about that. Jonah is what's called a foreshadowing or type of Christ. That God would allow people, even when they make the wrong decisions, that God would allow people to go through certain circumstances that they would be written down so that ultimately we could see and we could hear that God is constantly at work orchestrating the events of history to bring us back to himself, to call all men to himself. And the fact that Jesus validates the, the account by pointing to Jonah shows us that this really truly happened. In fact, Jonah is the only prophet in the Old Old Testament that Jesus actually likened himself to. And even though this was written so long ago, God was showing us, even back then, that his grace and his mercy would extend to all people and to all people groups. So why is it still so hard for us to believe. Why don't we believe that God wants everyone to know him? Do you know what I'm talking about? There are certain people that even live in our day and age and in certain countries and in certain groups where we just say there's no way that God actually wants to save these people. They're just rotten. They're evil. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you're not sure if God actually loves you and you've experienced hardship in your life, and you've gone through trial after trial after trial, and you can't figure out why so many things have to happen to you, and yet so many other people seem to be untouched or unscathed by the difficulties of, of the world. And so you begin to question whether God actually cares about you. You know what's been interesting about 2018 so far is that Billy Graham's not the only famous person that's died in the last few months. There's another very intelligent, world-known, world-renowned individual who was a family man just like Billy Graham. He had three kids with his first wife. He did incredible things in science 
in physics. He was a best-selling author of several books. In fact, one of his biggest discoveries involved black holes and what they were actually made of. And so he, you know, there's things that are actually named after him because of his research. He held, listen to this, 12 honorary degrees. Do you guys know who I'm talking about this morning? What's his name? Stephen Hawking. And it's interesting because he was doing an interview uh, with a newspaper a few years ago. And this is what he said. He said he wasn't afraid to die. He just wasn't in a hurry to die. But then he said these words, I regard the brain as a computer with which, with, uh, which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And so you read that and you look at his life and you look, again, a very intelligent, well-respected, incredible amount of influence, worldwide fame, yet he was completely convinced there was no God. Why was it so hard for Stephen to possibly believe that there might be something out there that's bigger and greater than the universe? Why was it so hard for Stephen to believe that there just might be the possibility of something that had more wisdom and knowledge than what he could see before his own eyes? And really, truly the reality for us is it's because we all have a free will. God's love is enforced on any of us in this room. Did you know that? And even though God is orchestrating the events of history to constantly draw you to himself and draw and constantly draw other people to himself, even when we go the wrong way, just like the people of Nineveh and just like the people during Jesus' time, faith is something you have to receive. It is brought to you, but it is something you have to respond to you. God brings himself to you, but you can certainly reject him. You can say, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. Thank you very much. And you can rely on your own wisdom and knowledge. You can rely on what you see right before you. You know what's so interesting is that a few days after uh, I filled out my application and went into the um, Billy Graham office and I had shown them my handwritten note and I figured the reason they needed a couple days in order to call me back is because they needed to get the corner office ready for me, right? (laughs) Work out the salary package and the benefit package. I mean, again, who gets a note from Billy Graham, right? And so I go in and I was pretty confident. I mean, this is going to be a slam dunk. This is going to be a piece of cake. And there's three interviewers on the other side of the table and me. And so they, we opened in prayer, which I thought was really cool. And then they asked me some questions. They looked at my resume. They looked at uh, some of the questions that, I, that they had me fill out uh, the first time I was there. And uh, then they just said, can we see that note again? And so uh, the one interviewer looked at the note and then she held it up to the light And then she looked at me and looked at the note, and they passed it to the next one. Look at the note, look at me, hold it up to the light. And then uh, then one of them said, do you mind if I I go get my supervisor? I said, no, that's fine. And so we're sitting in there, I'm talking to the other two, and then all of a sudden this guy in a suit comes in, and he's holding the note. And he looks at the note, and he looks at me, he looks at the note, he looks at me, looks at the note, he looks at me again, he says, "Billy, Billy never does this. Billy's never written a note for anyone. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Some of you might not remember this. There was a time when cell phones, you couldn't take selfies on them, right? Like, I didn't didn't even think to do that. You know, phones weren't that sophisticated uh, even just 20 years ago. And he said, you know, um, he's like, I really appreciate you coming in. And, you know, we just need to pray about it. And, you know, we'll call you or we'll send you a letter and we'll let you know what we decide. 
And isn't it interesting that just a couple days later, I got a letter in the mail, and it said, Dear Mr. Bollinger, uh, we regret to inform you that you will not be receiving, uh, or however it was written, the position here at the Billy Graham Association. I was devastated. I mean, honestly, I went into a depression. I had told all my classmates. I had told my family. I mean, who gets rejected from a letter, a handwritten note, from Billy Graham? I felt like a failure. I felt like I had just, you know, gone through this incredible ordeal, and now my plans and what I thought God was leading in this open door that I thought he had for me completely changed. And here's the thing. It took me months before God got a hold of my heart again, and he reminded me of this. I didn't go to Minneapolis to work for the Billy Graham Association. I went to Minneapolis because his plan for me was to go through school and to finish school and to become a pastor. And I can tell you this too, this wasn't the first time that something happened in school where I was presented with another opportunity and I tried to walk through the door and God had to shut the door in order to keep me where I was at. See, I honestly believe that's what happens in life. So often we try to go our own way and we see these opportunities and we pray about it or we even feel like it's God's you know, calling on our life in some incredible way. God always brings us back. He always gets us on the path that he has for us. You know, so often we work so hard to put everything in our lives exactly where we want them to be. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of this, or we'll put in the extra hours, we'll save our money, and we'll invest in the things that we think should be invested in. We'll spend extra time and energy. We try to line everything up just right. We cover all of our bases to make sure that we are, that we are completely taken care of here on this earth. In fact, what we do is we create heaven here on earth for us and we create these little nest eggs and then all of a sudden life happens and things come along and all of a sudden we get angry because our plans didn't go the way that we wanted them to go and what do we do what's the first thing we do when this happens when our life begin to take left turns and things don't go the way we want them we're insecure so the first thing we do is we blame ourselves i must have screwed up i must have done something wrong and we backtrack and we say well only if we would have done this or if we would have done this differently or if we would have parent the kid differently this way or we would have you know this or this or this and we beat ourselves up and then when we're done beating ourselves up usually we turn and start beating other people up and we're saying oh it must be their fault or they must have done something wrong it was because they interjected or they got in my way and then when we're done beating other people, this is the crazy part, then we start blaming God and we get mad at God. Even people that don't believe in God blame God. And you know what I'm talking about? I've seen this over and over again. But here's the key for us this Easter. I don't want you to miss this message. God is always at work whether we realize it or not. In fact, I believe God is at more at work in our lives than we even give him credit for. He's at work even when we're trying to control our own destinies. And even though we're so obsessed with controlling the here and now, and it might be because we have a little bit of money, maybe it's because we have a little bit of influence or authority or power, and we have all these things and we surround ourselves with all these things that we're trying to make ourselves happy, yet we seem to spend so little time actually thinking about the life to come. And it was interesting that Billy Graham, after he traveled the world and he met with presidents and, you know, dignitaries from, from one end of the planet to the other, he met celebrities. I mean, the guy was absolutely incredible, the influence that he had and the people that he met. There's a couple things that they asked him. They said, if you had to live all 99 of your years over again, was there anything that you would change about your life? 
And he said, absolutely. And this is what Billy Graham said. He said, if I had to live my life all over again, I would not have gone to uh, as many crusades as I did. I wouldn't have traveled as much. I wouldn't have taken on so many speaking engagements. I would have sta- I stayed home and I would have read my Bible more. And I would have prayed more. And I would have spent more time with my wife. And I would have spent more time with my kids. Billy Graham. And then when he said, well, what is the one thing that you hope is said at your funeral? And he literally says this. He says, the only thing that I want to hear at my funeral is from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. I was a guy like that with so much influence and and so much knowledge and wisdom and being able to see the world the way that he did, able to keep an eternal perspective like that. Even a recent interview that I saw with uh, um, the outspoken uh, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, because he's always introduced for whatever reason, the outspoken owner of the Dallas Mavericks, what's his name? See, you guys know who he is, Mark Cuban. And he's really popular now because he's on Shark Tank and he gets to make all these really cool investments. Someone asked him, they said, what's it like being a billionaire? Fair question. He's like, what's, the, you know, what's it like? like? What are the pressures? What is it you know, that, that you struggle with? And he says, I don't have any struggles. He says, I have everything I could possibly want or need. Literally, I don't stress out about anything. He said, the only thing that's difficult is knowing that one day this is going to end. One day it's going to end and there's nothing I can do about it. Because that's the truth. It is going to end. This life as we know it is going to come to end. We're not going to live forever. You're not going to live forever and neither am I. And guess what, folks? I just turned 40 years old last October. I know, I'm counting the days, let me tell you. And I went to my doctor that I go to every year And all of a sudden, this year, like what is 40, some magical number? He's ordering all of these tests and all of this blood work. And I go, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Why do I need all this done? He's like, you're 40. That's what happens. Get used to it. And it's true. It's that reminder. It's that gentle nudging of a reminder of, wow, we all, we're mortal beings. And this life is fragile and it is short. And yet here it is, Easter, and you're saying, why are you talking so much about death? Here's why. Because without death, you can't have the resurrection. Without Christ's death on the cross, there is no resurrection. And without the resurrection, our faith is useless. It's meaningless. We need the resurrection. We need to cling to what God has done for us. And as I said, it was kind of interesting listening to you know, the comparison be- between Stephen Hawking and uh, Billy Graham, because this is actually what Stephen said. He said this too. We are each free to believe what we want, and it is my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe, and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization. There's probably no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. And as I was reading this quote, and I was reading it over and over and over again, you can tell someone obviously talked to him about God. The the gospel was brought to him, and based on his knowledge and and his faith and what he could reason and what was right in front of him, he just came to the point as, you know, even though though this has been brought to me, there's no way that I believe this. Even his first wife was actually a Christian. And the part that really struck me is kind of that last sentence where he says, we have this one life to appreciate, the grand design of the universe. 
I mean, he realized it was beyond human comprehension, but he couldn't just get to the point of there actually being a creator of that grand design. And even though we don't really know how his life ended, and hopefully that he did turn to God, that he did, at at those last few moments, have faith in Jesus, because this is eternity that hangs in the balance. So often this is the struggle. And that you have, again, on one end of the spectrum. But then you have Billy, who said this on the other end. He said, someday you're going to read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. (laughs) Right? Total Billy Graham. I shall shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. But even more important than Billy, this is what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Shall never die. And he turned to Mary, who he was talking to at this time. He was at a funeral. and And he said to her, do you believe this? See, I think that's our question today. I think that's our question this Easter. Do you believe this. Jesus' death and resurrection is the central event of human history. The resurrection of Christ gives us hope that ultimately light triumphs over darkness, that good triumphs over evil, and that life triumphs over death. That's what we base our faith and our hope in, that God draws us to himself, that he is a good God, and that he is working on our behalf. In fact, I'll tell you this today. I'll close with this. Do you know that you're not here today by accident? That God knew that every single person that's in this room or that's watching, wherever you're watching online, that God knew that you would be here today, that you would hear this message. And I can tell you this, I'm not anybody special, okay? I'm not some great preacher, teacher, you know, I, you know, I haven't done all these incredible things like Billy Graham or anybody else on the planet. But I can tell you this, that it's God's word that has the power to transform your life. That God orchestrated the events, whether you came here because you found us online or because you saw an ad or because someone invited you today because he wanted you to hear his words. It's his words that have the power to transform you. It's the gospel. That's why we're gathered today. And if you're here, and maybe, you know, let's just be honest, some people are here because it's Easter and you come on Christmas and Easter. And Easter is early this year, folks, so you're gonna be a long time until Christmas, okay? (laughs) Can I just encourage you in this? Don't wait until Christmas. And you might be saying, well, I believe and I have faith and I know where I'm going when I die and I don't need to go to church in order to go to heaven. And you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right because faith is what saves us. Here's the reality. You're missing out on what God wants to do in your life each and every week. Because if you come to this church or you come to a Bible-believing church, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna open the Bible And God is going to speak to you each and every week. It's God's word that has the power to transform your life. And I would encourage you, come back next week or find a church that you can plug into. You're missing out on all that God has for you. It's not that we want anything from you. It's we want Jesus for you. And maybe you're here and you're struggling with your faith and you're doubting and you're going, what in the world? You're still caught on the Jonah thing. Do you really believe someone lived in a fish for three days? Guess what? Those people that call this place home, we doubt too. We struggle with our faith as well. 
but we simply receive what God has given us, not based on our own human strength or reasoning, because faith doesn't come from inside of us. We don't create it inside of us. Actually, it's from outside of us. And it's outside of us because we point to the word of God. We realize what God has done for us, whether it's spoken or whether we read it, and we receive that. And God actually gives us faith. He gives us the ability to believe him. And I'm here to tell you, you can trust him. His words are true. And he will put you on an adventure and on a path that you can't even imagine. And is it going to be easy all the time? No. Are you still going to have struggles? Absolutely. But you will have an immense amount of grace and mercy and you will have people that will come alongside you and walk through this with you. So don't miss out on this adventure that God has for you and the faith that he wants to still in you so that one day when you come to that point where you close your eyes in this life, that when you open them, you will open them and you will see Jesus face to face. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this afternoon? And Father, we just, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we do just pause in this moment in this place, on this Easter Saturday, 2018. And God, we acknowledge that you know every single heart and soul in this room. And again, we recognize that no one is here on accident. That God, you brought us here to hear from you. And so God, now we pray that if anyone is here that is far from you, that they will hear your message of grace and mercy with your arms open wide saying, welcome home, come home, receive what I have for you. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you today, in your head and in your heart, whisper that to God. Say, God, I don't even know if I understand all of it. I don't know if I, if I even believe all of it. But God, right now in this moment, I put my faith, I put my trust in you. Help me, give me faith. Give me the ability to believe what you say is true, that you are the resurrection and the life, and that we can believe in you, and that, God, you did die on that cross for us, that you did rise from the dead three days later, that we could have life, and that we could have life to the full. So, God, once again, thank you for bringing us here. Easter 2018 to celebrate you, to worship you, to sing to you, to pray to you, and once again to receive this incredible gift that you give to each and every one of us. Thank you for everything that you give us through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.